Hello and welcome all to Diversify Her Podcast. I'm your host, Raven Hayward, and today we have Miss Dee McDougall. Dee is a global head of diversity, equity, and inclusion at CAPCO. She joined the firm in early 2021 with Pacific Western Bank, where she led corporate diversity and inclusion strategy and developed education and engagement programs for internal and external audiences, including candidates, employees, clients, partners, suppliers, and community groups. Previous positions also include vice president, marketing and communication roles in banking compliance and commercial real estate development. Ms. McDougall has been a member of several industry committees and advisory groups, including Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Advisory Group and Professional Development Council of the American Bankers Association. She was named one of Triangle Business Journal's 40 under 40 and was named a biz woman headliner and rising star by American City Business Journals. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Um, when you read my bio, it makes me feel older than I really am. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me about yourself and your journey of how you got to where you are? Uh, sure. So I um, was born and raised in Raleigh um, and went to, uh, you know, schools in my neighborhood um, and always enjoyed connecting with people. I've always very much been a a people person. Um, And when I was in high school, I um, did a class in speech communication and I absolutely loved it. And I knew that when I went to school, I wanted to study communication. I just wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't necessarily want to be on the news or in broadcast journalism. So I chose to do communication studies where you really kind of dig deeper on sort of how communication works and, and how important interpersonal communication is and how much how much organizational communication matters. And so that's what I studied at UNCG. And I always, after that, just found myself in roles where I was paying attention to sort of how are we communicating with various stakeholders. So whether that's clients, employees, um, I always had that as part of my role, even if that wasn't my main role. So when I was in college, I worked for a real estate attorney. And I was sure that upon graduating that I was going to get a huge raise and um, that that's what I was going to do for my career. And I put together a presentation um, with some market research from what other people um, at other uh, law firms in the area were making and that I presented it to her to say, hey, look, I think this is what you need to pay me. And instead of that raise, she said, hey, here you go. Here's some health insurance. And from there, it was a great exercise in learning how to advocate for myself, but it didn't turn out the way I wanted to. So I had to decide, am I going to stay where I'm comfortable or I'm, am I going to pursue what I think that I'm worth? And so that's really how I started my career um, and moved on and worked in commercial real estate. Um, and then also um, after working in commercial real estate, I got into financial services. So growing up in the environment that I'd been part of, you know, my whole life where my family was one of, um, was really the only black family or just one of a couple in the larger neighborhood. Um, and then um, just being in spaces, whether it's commercial real estate or in financial services, where it's often the only woman and often the only black person or any other person of color, I started to pay more attention and started to ask the question of why. Um, and so that's really when I started to transition away from the roles that I was in and really started to focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion as my day job. So along the way, I did marketing um, as well. So the marketing communication side of it. So again, how am I 
how am I helping our company connect with our customers, make sure our employees understand what's going on? Um, how am I helping teams work better together through the communication tools that they use um, and really learning how to lean into empathy and, you know, really effective communication to drive better outcomes. So that's, that's what I did. And then um, probably, I guess it's about five years ago, I started to do more diversity and inclusion work as part of my day job. So, yeah. So with your diversity and inclusion work, what exactly do you do? So my job is to make sure that the company is, um, so that, let me break it down for you in three ways. So diversity is the sort of characteristics that we all possess that make us different. So this could be um, you know, race and ethnicity, gender, um, sexual orientation, religion, um, you know, just a lot of different things like uh, that make us who we are. This also includes sort of uh, personality type or management style that you prefer. There's lots of stuff that makes us who we are and what we, you know, what makes us tick. So that's sort of the diversity piece of it. Equity is fairness. So based on who you are and the different uh, characteristics that you possess from a diversity perspective, do you have a fair and equal um, do you have fair and equal access to opportunity and resources based on who you are? So that's the diversity and the equity in, in DEI. And then the inclusion piece is what is your experience like? So at work, do you feel like you have the same experience as other people based on who you are? Do you feel welcomed, valued, and included? That So my job is making sure that people from all different backgrounds feel like they are welcomed, that they're valued, that they are able to contribute to the larger organization and the mission of what, what it is that we're doing. Um, there's a saying when you have a really big um, mandate that you can't boil the ocean. So part of my work does um, include focusing on, you know, certain pieces at a time. So there could be a focus on gender, there could be a focus on race, and then specifically Black talent and Latinx talent, or there could be a focus on LGBT, LGBTQ workplace inclusion. So my job is really trying to make sure that I am creating engagement, advocacy, and education programs that advance underrepresented talent at the firm. And so what's really important to note there is that it isn't about fixing people who come from diverse backgrounds. It's not about saying, okay, Raven, as a, as a Black woman, here are the things you need to do. It's about making sure that the organization is ready to receive all that you bring as a Black woman to the organization. And so what we do there is talk about, you know, inclusive leadership and inclusive behaviors. And so we try to make everyone understand that inclusion is something that we all have to do. And it isn't just the work of people from diverse backgrounds that have to figure out how to fit in. Like we have to make it so that everybody fits in. So that's kind of the, an overview of the work that I do, but day to day, this looks very different. Um, I can give you a recent example. So with the federal holiday, um, so with Juneteenth being um, uh, cemented as a federal holiday just yesterday on, on June 17th, um, what does that mean for our firm? And so what can we do? So I want to make sure that the folks within our firm and as we're talking to our employees that we're really being authentic um, in, in our response and that we're not taking advantage of this moment and doing something that feels performative. So for a lot of companies, um, you know, pre-George Floyd's murder, they never talked about Juneteenth, right? And so then in 2020, all of a sudden, everyone wants to start talking about Juneteenth and they want to have, you know, uh, black power fists all over their t-shirts. And it's like, no, 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 that's not authentic. We want to do things that are authentic and we want to create change 
at a pace that's both sustainable and scalable. So today what I do is I equip our leaders and I talk to them who are mostly white and mostly male and say, okay, here's what we need to do and here's why we're doing it. So part of it is, you know, being an internal consultant and coach for people. Um, It's talking to employees from different backgrounds to listen to their concerns and challenges. And then I take what I hear and I go back and I try to fix the system. Um, And sometimes it requires breaking the system because it was never built with us in mind. And by us, that means whoever isn't part of the end group. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's delivering a training. Um, It's welcoming people into the organization. It is building out our campus recruitment teams to say that we want to make sure that we're being more diverse. It's helping our talent acquisition teams think about schools that we might need to visit um, because they may not they may not know. Um, it's about understanding that people um, recognize that it requires an investment in this work and that we can't just show up without investing any resources, whether it's time or money or something else um, in order for us to be effective. So I do lots of different things from day to day, but I love it. So what are the best resources that have helped you along the way? Um, so that's a really good question. I think that um, I have a really uh, strong personal board of advisors. I think that's a person. Uh, I think that's a um, that's something that everyone should have, no matter like how old you are or like what your role is. I think it's important to have people who know you um, and know the work that you do um, and that you listen to them and you value their opinion. And I think your personal board of advisors from a professional perspective is very different or educational or, or professional perspective is different from your friends and your family. There may be a little bit of overlap, but sometimes you need people to call you out on your stuff. Um, and so you want people who are going to, um, you know, do that with you and they're going to understand the challenges that you face at work and then give you solid advice on how you take next step, next steps. Sometimes my family has no idea what I do. And in my career, sometimes they haven't had a real understanding of what I do. So maybe their advice might not have been as relevant. But if I have another, excuse me, marketing person that I'm talking to, or if I have another diversity and inclusion practitioner that I'm talking to, they're like, okay, I hear you. And here's something that you can, um, you know, maybe try. So I think personal board of advisors has been helpful. Um, It's overwhelming at times, but I think being current on news um, from a variety of different perspectives is helpful. Um, sometimes when we think of diversity, we think about it uh, as just um, a certain type of person. But diversity really does mean um, someone who thinks differently from you. And so um, making sure that you are well-versed in what's happening, not just in your own little bubble, but in other um, communities as well can be helpful. Um, it can also... Um, get you to a place where you understand why people are having a hard time accepting things. Mm -hmm. And so you can build something, you can build a response that addresses their challenges and fears instead of saying, well, I don't understand why you just don't get it. Like, so really having a more well-rounded view, I think is helpful. And then always learning. So, um, you know, whether it's podcasts or articles or books, um, it can, it can be overwhelming at times because there is so much information out there. But I think that, Those are the ways um, that I try to keep up with what's going on. And those are the things I think equip me to make better decisions. In your journey, what's been your biggest failure and what have you learned from it? See, biggest failure. I've had some, I've had some tough ones. Mm. So I think the biggest failure um, is I stayed somewhere too long. I think that, um, 
so I'll take a step back. So I think that there are people in, um, in professional spaces that as I've gotten older, I realized that like not everyone's out here trying to go get it, right? Like not everyone is interested in um, that next promotion or getting um, more responsibility or learning. Um, some people are happy to master something and let that be um, what they do for the duration of their career. That's not me. I'm very much a person that is go, go, go. I want the next thing. I enjoy being challenged at work. Work is a part of my identity and I accept that and I, I appreciate that. Um, there was a time in my life where I thought that maybe maybe it was a bad thing that I loved work so much, right? But I think it's just different strokes for different folks. And so I, I say that as background because you know one of the failures in how I failed myself is that I stayed in the space too long at work um, where I wasn't growing, I wasn't learning. And then I got to a place where, um, I, I, I didn't like it. And I was looking for the next opportunity, but it couldn't come fast enough. And I think that if I'd listened to myself earlier on, then I probably would have made different decisions. And so I failed myself in that because I think I wasted some time where I wasn't, I wasn't getting anything out of I wasn't receiving anything in return for what I was putting out, if that makes sense. So I think I failed myself by not listening sooner. Um, and so what I've learned from that now is that um, sometimes you have to go to grow and that's an okay thing. And, um, you know, growth isn't always a promotion. It isn't always more money, right? But you need to be better tomorrow than you were today. And so if you don't continue to see that, if you don't continue to see that, um, you know, you evolving or maturing or getting better at something or perfecting your craft, then I think you need to really pay attention to what's most important to you. So that's, that's a failure um, in my career. A funny failure um, is I was, this was probably five years ago, was hosting an event um, for work. And this was, we had a bunch of our C-level executives who were in town. And at this point in time, I was doing marketing work. So we're hosting an event and it was a Mardi Gras themed uh, party for uh, all of our employees. And we had um, folks who had flown in from across the country and uh, we just used a Spotify playlist. And I thought jazz, it's great. Um, uh, you know, Mardi Gras jazz playlist. And um, when you work in like special events or marketing or whatever, you usually wear one thing during the day while you're doing all your errands setting up and then you change your clothes uh, for the actual event. So I was in my event clothes and I had on some four inch heels and on this playlist, a song, the beat dropped on this song and I knew what it was. And the CEO of our company was in the room and there is no clean version to this song. And so I had to scoot across the venue in my four inch heels to try to make it before the words this song came out. So that was a fail. Um, not paying attention to figure out whether or not this was, um, a playlist that didn't have any explicit lyrics. Got it done, got it taken care of, but um, I scuffed up my shoes and I think I was sweating at that point. So little fail, you know, things don't always work out the way you want them to, but um, everybody knows that when a juvenile song, when the beat drops, you know what's coming on. And so that's mm -hmm. what happened, yeah. <laughs> so what advice would you give to someone that wants to pursue a career similar to yours? Well, do they want to do what I do now or do they want to have been on the journey that I've been on? I wouldn't change anything about my journey. Um, I also love diversity, equity, and inclusion work. So which part would you like me to answer? Where you are now. 
Yeah. So I think um, where I am now, I think that one of the things that would be most helpful is, um, so I don't come from a traditional HR background. I think that's important to note. Um, So I think that you can get where I am um, without having had a traditional human resources um, upbringing, if you will. I think experience in um, I think experience in marketing communications or in employee employee engagement is helpful. I think some HR experience is helpful too. Now there are all sorts of ways that you can work in social justice um, as well. So I think um, experience working with people, um, you know, experience talking to people at all levels of an organization and being able to establish relationships. Um, where people can trust you, I think that's the biggest thing. So whatever experience you have um, where you're able to demonstrate that you can, you know, get people to trust you and that you're able to communicate with people of all different backgrounds at all levels of the organization, that you're both accessible and approachable. Um, I wouldn't be good at what I what I do right now if I was like, oh, I'm an executive and you need to schedule time to meet with me. Like that doesn't work because diversity, equity, and inclusion work is individual self-work. Like when I'm talking to a group of people about bias, I am trying to get them individually to understand what they can do. And so if you are someone who is, you know, wanting to be an executive and one that isn't approachable, this work isn't for you. You got to be in the weeds with people. You got to bring them along on the journey. And so that ability to connect and that desire to want to create change is really important. So you can get that in a number of different ways, um, but a passion for the work is really important, but you need to also have the expertise, right? Um, and so I think that um, doing that kind of work, um, studying um, interpersonal communications, studying um, race or uh, gender studies or religion or something along um, those lines where you where you have sort of the foundation for why things are the way they are. So whether that's, um, you know, anthropology or sociology, you know, liberal arts and appreciation for data as well. And so my work is informed by what the numbers say. And so at the stage that I am now as an executive, I got to be able to look at the data and draw some insights from them. So that's, that's important too. So I'd say that there are a number of things that you can do um, on the path that that sort of gets you here. But I think that being well-versed across a number of different skill sets is going to be important. And you got to be able to play the game on both sides, right? Like I can put on a suit and give a presentation to the board of directors Then I also put on a t-shirt and kick it with everybody else. And that I think is what makes people successful um, in this type of role. You got to be relatable. I think also patience is important too, because this you don't create change um, overnight. Um, especially the kind of change that is uh, sustainable. So I say like, we can't just go out and hire a bunch of diversity and then think that people are going to stay if we haven't done the work to like make the, um, you know, make the environment more inclusive. So you have to be willing to be invested in this work for some time to come. In what ways have you seen more women of color representation and what more do you think can be done pertaining to your field? Right now is like the best time to be black um, in corporate America and to be a black woman in this space, because I think that there is a reckoning that's happening um, in corporate America where people are realizing um, at senior leadership levels, like CEOs are saying, well, 
I have really messed this up because I haven't been paying attention to it or I've been asleep at the wheel and I have missed out on a lot of opportunity. So, you know, over the past few months, um, specifically probably the last 12 months, I've seen a lot of people, um, whether it's the two new black female CEOs in Fortune 500 companies, or if it's, um, you know, having new um, people, people being promoted to boards of directors for publicly traded companies or promotion announcements that I've seen, like people are getting the attention that they have earned, but just not, they haven't received it over time. Right. And so now is a really good time, but what we need to do is make sure that it doesn't require this kind of moment, this inflection point in order for us to be able to continue to do this. Right. Like the, the spotlight isn't going to shine bright forever. We just have to make sure that, excuse me, once things change, that we are now thinking about this forever and that we don't just have this moment and then go back to the way things were before. Um, I was reading an article um, about Ursula Burns, who was the CEO of um, Xerox. And she said something along the lines of, um, you know, basically for a black woman or a black person to make it to like C-suite in Fortune 500 or other really big companies, it's an anomaly or people think you are exceptional. And I mean, that's kind of both good and bad. Like you you do want to be known, um, no matter your race or background, you want to be thought of as a rock star, right? But you don't want to be thought of as the only rock star um, because it's, it's not that you're so great that there's no one like you. It's that the systems are in place to keep people like you out and you've just made your way through that system. And so she says something along the lines of like, I'm not exceptional. I have a seat at this table because I'm as good as you are. And that's what we need to do moving forward. We need to continue to create space for people who are as good as the people that are already there. Um, it's just slightly controversial, but what some people say is, you know, there's a level, level of mediocrity that exists um, in certain spaces. And it's like, well, how do people keep getting these roles or how do people get keep getting elected or whatever? And like, they're not awesome. And so we got to fix that, right? Like for as many people who aren't awesome, there's a black woman or a Latina or someone else that could have taken that spot, but because of bias, they don't get access to those spaces. So I've seen a lot of progress over the past 12 months, but I want to continue to see that progress even outside the spotlight. The signature question that I have on my podcast is what's one piece of advice you would give a Gen Z listener to go out and diversify themselves? Yep. So I think um, this is, I'd give this advice to anybody, no matter what age. I think look at your, there's an exercise called the um, trusted 10. And so it's basically take um, a sheet of paper. Yes, a sheet of paper. Don't do it on your phone. Um, but take a sheet of paper and write down the 10 people that you're closest to. Like, who do you go to for advice? So your friends, um, whether they're friends from school or friends from, you know, home or your neighborhood, you know, family members or whatever, and then pick six or seven dimensions of diversity, right? So it could be race, ethnicity, um, LGBTQ status. It could be, um, for younger folks, it could be their family dynamic, right? Do they come from a two-parent household or a single-parent household? Are they, like, just think about the ways that we show up in difference. So make your list of 10 people, think about the different dimensions of diversity, and then look at your list by those dimensions. And then see, do the people that you surround yourself every day with, um, are they diverse, right? Or are you wanting something, are you wanting the world to do something that you don't do yourself? 
right? So are we wanting people to say, yeah, we have diverse networks, but then when you look at your own, you don't have a diverse network, right? right. So I think that that's one of the things that we really need to do is we really need to take stock of like, who do we surround ourselves with on a day-to-day basis? And of course, as humans, we have a tendency to want to be close to folks who are most like us, right? But we are better and we make better decisions when we are um, we seek the input of people who aren't like us, right? Because they challenge us. People from different backgrounds ask questions about things that maybe you hadn't thought about, right? You say, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way because they're approaching it from their lived experience, not your own. And so I think that my advice to anyone who is looking to um, you know, take steps to diversify their networks, right, is to say, what does your existing network look like? Then my advice to, um, you know, Black, young Black um, Gen Zers or millennials would be own every bit of the richness of who you are. You know, I am, um, I'm at an age or I grew up in a time where I wasn't sure. You know, like it it wasn't, I didn't necessarily have the space. My parents taught me to be proud of being black, right? So I grew up in an environment where like I was taught to embrace my blackness, right? And to be excited about it and all the things, right? But I have plenty of peers who weren't. They felt like they had to shrink their blackness in order to be accepted. And so the reason I work so hard in diversity, equity, and inclusion work is so that people who are younger than me, who are entering the workforce, that they get to show up in the fullness of their blackness, right? And this fullness of whoever it is that they are. So they don't have to shrink themselves, right? So, you know, earlier in my career, I never would have worn my natural hair to an interview. Absolutely would have straightened it. Thousand percent. Now, I'm not doing that. If I want to straighten my hair, I will. If I don't, I won't. But that's going to be a decision that I make because I want people to feel like they can show up as their natural selves. And it's not about what you look like. It's about the work that you produce, right? Mm -hmm. So my advice to younger people is really be comfortable with who you are and don't feel like you have to shrink any part of your identity to fit in because we want you to bring that richness of who you are to the workplace because it's that perspective that's going to help us all be better together. I love that. Thank you so much. Where can our listeners connect with you online? Sure. So um, on Instagram, I'm at dee.mcd. On LinkedIn, just find me at dmcdougall. I don't tweet often, but um, my Twitter handle is at there goes D. Okay, thank you so much. There you have it, everyone. Miss Dee McDougal. I'll catch you next time on Diversify Her Podcast.